Okay, guys, well, tonight I'm joined by journalist and Asian football expert, Scott McIntyre. Uh, he's, he's dialing all the way in from, from Tokyo. Thank you very much, Scott, for taking the time to meet us. No troubles. Uh, firstly, thanks for uh, all the, the great work that you guys do. I listen to your, um, to your podcast every week uh, religiously, so you guys are doing a fantastic job uh, promoting Korean football and, uh, and with the ACL coverage even more broadly than that. So, um, yeah, so it's, good. it's great to be on on your show and, and fantastic to, to you know hear you guys because we, we you know I, I know doing this myself that you're doing it for for love and certainly not for money so uh, <laughs> it's just great to you know to be part of that community yeah there's there's definitely not a lot of money involved in the K-League that's for sure but that's another story for another time yeah but um so that you're actually flying out this week to the Asian Cup right yeah that's right um out will be there uh, just in time I think I get in 1am uh, the morning of the opening match uh, between uh uh, the UAE and uh, it's Bahrain in the, in the opening game. So yeah, really looking forward to um, to the whole tournament. Excellent, excellent. So obviously, they in the last tournament they they, they saw four years ago. You know, it was in Australia, and Australia beat Korea uh, in the final. Um, I mean, a lot of a lot of the the kind of big name players. You know, they they kind of they kind of marquee players seem to have left the the team. You know, like obviously uh, Cahill and, and so on. Mm. So what what are the what are the expectations this time around? Uh, I mean, are the expectations to retain it or are they just to kind of do well? I would say question. It's a transition phase in football. I mean, not just in terms of the players, but I think uh, perhaps even more importantly with the coaching situation because we had a guy in Ange Postacoglu who's now, uh, of course, coaching over here uh, with Yokohama at Marinos in the J League, who was. Uh, incredibly uh, aggressive, uh, attack at all, uh, a cost kind of mentality, and, and he really came in and began uh, that transition from you know what you could call the golden uh, age of Australian football. So you know the the Lucas Neals, the the Mark Schwartzes, the Harry Kules, all these uh, kind of uh, famous uh, you know names that uh, did so well in the World Cup in 2006. Perhaps you know should have got past Italy, and who knows how far they could have gone in, in that tournament uh, over in Germany. And, and and he transitioned away from that to a a relatively speaking younger squad, but certainly a more aggressive and, and dynamic uh, side with a totally different way of playing. You know that, that probably we've seen it a long, long time uh, in Australia, and then you you had this rather unusual uh, situation of going to a conservative Dutch coach at the World Cup, which didn't really work. You know, I mean, he, he kind of came in saying, you know, we're going to grind out results, and, and and if you grind and don't get results, it's a, it's a pretty bad look uh, overall, and that certainly was the case. Um, and then you've gone back now. Uh, to Graham Arnold, to a local uh, coach who was, I mean, I really think he should, probably should have been the guy to take the team uh, to Russia. He, he didn't, but he's done fantastically well uh, domestically uh, with with Sydney FC, and uh, of course he did have a, a brief um, and not very successful uh, stint uh, as the national coach at the Asian Cup, actually, back in uh, 2007, but he's a, a vastly changed and vastly uh, improved coach since then, but certainly not either in the ultra-conservative or ultra-attacking mould of the last two coaches, so he's somewhere uh, bridging uh, those two uh, situations and and also really now having to do with passing out the the final remnants of that uh, golden generation with Tim Cahill uh, finally uh, going out as well. So uh, yeah, in many ways it is it's a new look uh, team on the pitch. Uh, unfortunately, there's been a, a couple of really serious uh, injury blows uh, in the last uh, couple yeah. of weeks. Uh, Aaron Moy uh, is out. Uh, Matthew Leckie has been doing really well in the Bundesliga uh, is out, and and Martin Boyle, uh, the Scottish. Um, yeah, please perhaps he's never never been to Australia. Yeah. Until uh, October and I mean he you know looked fantastic in a, in a couple of um, the games he had in, in, in the friendly matches late last year and was perhaps looming as something of an X factor. So to lose those three uh, players um, within you know the space of three or four weeks is is a big blow for the team 
there's no question. But to, to wind right back to your original questions in, in terms of expectations, you know, I mean, uh, whether it's you know a, a football game at this level or, or vacuuming the house or, or going down the you know the road um, to get a bite to eat, uh, whatever Australians do, they tend to want to uh, win at, yeah. uh, at, at anything, and that's uh, certainly uh, very much the expectation uh, going into this tournament. You know, even with those. Um, you know, those couple of key injuries, the expectation uh, externally and certainly internally is, uh, is nothing less than going in and becoming yet a First Nation uh, since Japan almost 20 years ago to, uh, to defend the title. Okay. So, like, like you mentioned those, those three big injuries. So, like, who, who would you say then is the, is the standout player left? I mean, who is the, who is the player that opposition fans, you know, players like, should be looking out for? It might not be a very sexy thing to say, but uh, we've, got a, we've got a very good... Um, a couple of goalkeepers, actually, and I think you could, you could make the case that, that even our number three, Danny Vukovic, who's now a, a regular uh, in Belgium, and, and certainly Mitch Langrad, who's been brilliant here uh, with Nicoya and the Jelly Bear, the second and third, so I, you can mount an argument that they're the top three goalkeepers of, of any goalkeepers in the tournament. So, uh, you know, obviously Matt Ryan has been uh, brilliant uh, in the Premier League with Brighton, and, you know, could be on his way to uh, really one of the top the clubs in the next uh, yeah. six months or so in, in England. So uh, I think the way that we're likely to see Australia play, they're not going to be, um, you know, once once you get out of the group stage, we're, we're assuming that they do not uh, the most flamboyant. And, you know, it might be fairly a tightly fought match. So I wouldn't be surprised if many of those knockout matches went down to extra time and perhaps even penalties. And I think it's there that uh, that strength, certainly the goalkeeping position, uh, you know, with Matty Ryan is going to show out. I mean, you know, I think he's, he's just had a fantastic a couple of years. I mean, he's, Really got an, an amazing story. I mean, he came to, um, uh, to actually my hometown club, the, the Central Coast Mariners, almost, I guess it would have been seven or eight years ago as, as a young kid, um, you know, no expectations, just a squad keeper, and, and through a, a really bizarre series of injuries, got kind of forced into action far earlier than they ever thought. Uh, you know, he, he would have been, the first game he had was an absolute nightmare. They stuck with him when they could have easily dropped him, and, yeah. and, and he's just gone from strength to strength since then. So, you know, if it wasn't for those, you know, real sequence of events, you know, over two or three weeks all, all those years ago, he, you know, he might still be playing kind of park football in Australia, but here he's, you know, one of the, the better goalkeepers in the Premier League. So, you know, he's come from kind of humble and difficult backgrounds as well, so it's fantastic to see him for doing well. You know, I know it's not a sexy pick to, to pick your goalkeeper, <laughs> but he could well be one, I guess, the other um, players, another guy based over here uh, in Japan also with a, a, another really amazing story in, in Andrew Naboot, um, a guy who was courted, uh, he's of Lebanese background, he was courted heavily uh, when he was younger by Lebanon, he turned them down uh, when he was really on nobody's radar, you know, saying, I, I'm, you know, I know I'm going to play for Australia one day, uh, had a crack in the A-League, it didn't really work, he ended up going to the Malaysian uh, second division, uh, would have been maybe four years ago, actually, but went over and did a story with him over there, and, you know, I mean, you, 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 there's no way, I mean, you would have imagined that this guy, you know, one, would have been going to the World Cup, as he did in Russia, and, and two, could potentially be leading the line you know, for the defending Asian Cup champions uh, going into this tournament, but I think he will. Um, he suffered a, a serious injury at um, uh, at the World Cup, and he's been out for pretty much, uh, you know, the whole back end of the yeah. J-League season. He's only just come back, but uh, he, he could very well be the, the starting number nine for the team, and, you know, as a, a pacey, uh, direct, uh, physically strong uh, kind of a forward, and he's also a good finisher, so, you know, he could uh, be one to, to catch the ice. I'm giving you one at uh, either end of the pitch. Okay, so, I mean... Like you talked there about Ryan, the goalkeeper from uh, back in the UK. I mean, there's a lot of talk right now uh, back back home, you know, about the players that are having to be freed up, you know, to come over for the Asian Cup. I, I mean, a lot of football fans uh, sort of back in the UK don't really understand maybe the importance of the Asian Cup. You know, they don't they kind of realise it's it's the Asian version of the Euros, yeah. Um, 
uh, you know, like the KFA and Spurs, they negotiated that Son would miss a couple, the first two games, I think it is, uh, if he was allowed to go to the Asian Games, which they obviously won the gold medal. And my own team, Celtic, um, have been embroiled, embroiled in a bit of a controversy because Graham Arnold wanted Rogic, uh, Tom Rogic, to join him immediately after uh, the game, I think it was on Boxing Day, uh, we were playing Rangers in the Old Firm Derby or whatever you want to call it, um, they, uh, and Rogic had to fly out for the training camp before the Oman game. Um, they, you mentioned there, you know, that no matter what Australians do, they always want to win. So then what is your take on club versus country? Like, I mean, do you think country comes first or is it, you know, the club pays the wages so they should have the final say on when the players go out? Yeah, well, obviously you heard the comments that uh, Chris Sutton uh, made on, uh, yeah. on TV over there as well. And, I mean, one, it's ignorant. Two, um, it's borderline racist. Yeah, I mean, I, three, um, I did comment on that, yeah. And three, it's just, I mean, it's just insane. And, I mean, it really, it, it just shows, uh, I guess, how insular, you know, a lot of um, countries are, uh, particularly in Europe. And, I mean, you know, they have no idea. I mean, I've spent the last um, six weeks travelling across Southeast Asia for the you know, for the AFF uh, Suzuki Cup and, and to be in those crowds, I mean, 110,000 uh, people uh, in, in Kuala Lumpur in, in Malaysia, you know, singing non-stop, I mean, unbelievable, T-Falls, right, throughout the whole thing, uh, crowds of, you know, 55, 60,000 uh, people in Vietnam. In both those venues, people were paying the security guards, uh, you know, kind of uh, three, four times their weekly wage, uh, <laughs> kind of bribes and cash going straight into the pocket to, to be allowed to jump the fence and, and go in. There would have been 30,000 people probably illegally inside the venue um, in Malaysia for the uh, for the final uh, there and I mean you know the party in, in the streets of Hanoi I mean you have to see it uh, to believe it I mean I don't know so much about uh, Scottish football but you know I mean if you if you said old firm to you know to people in, in Vietnam they'd probably think you're talking about some kind of a you know failed uh, business um, <laughs> corporation or, or something so you know they don't really know much about Scotland either but, but these people you know kind of generally tend to think you know they're each the centre of the universe so it's um I guess yeah, there's ignorance probably on on both sides, but in terms of the the, the club versus uh, country debate, I'm a uh, very much firmly in, in in the country <laughs> side of that because I mean everyone comes from from somewhere and you can't buy uh, success at, at at a national level. I mean you I mean, okay, we've seen players naturalised uh, on occasion here there, but it's not really you know. It, not often, uh, let's say, uh, Timor tried something uh, in recent times, but it's not often the case, you know, where passports are, uh, are being bought to try and strengthen the national team. So yeah. it's a real, uh, you know, a test and barometer of, uh, of where your development's at, where, you know, where the quality uh, often is at in, in terms of the National League, usually bringing players through, and you just don't get those things uh, at club level. Certainly you don't get it um, in the big leagues uh, in Europe. I mean, you know, Look at these um, lineups, you know, from a from a Liverpool or an Arsenal or this, and you you're struggling to find a, an English uh, a player anywhere, uh, you know, amongst them. Certainly, clubs, you know, Celtic and these other clubs, they know when they sign a guy like Tom Rogic that he's a big star for the national team. And, yeah. Um, and I mean, you know what you're getting yourself into. So, I mean, I, I don't think they can have complaints. The international windows are 
are there. You sign international players and you know that they're going to play. So really, the clubs have got um, no qualm with it. You know, I really hope that someone you know from the AFC or somewhere invites uh, you know Chris Sutton over to a few of these games and he can you know experience you know the passion for himself. I mean, you know, a game like Saudi Arabia, Lebanon, for example. I mean, you know, it's completely sold out. All the Saudi games are, are totally uh, you know sold out. So it'd be great you know to bring him over to one of these games and really open his eyes and yeah. and then you know you can go back because it's the same with you know any form of of ignorance uh, in life, it's just that, that you haven't uh, seen it, we haven't experienced it outside your own little um, you know sphere where you live. So you know, you know him as a public figure, it'd be it'd be great for for someone, you know, someone smart to uh, to fly him over and, and show him what it's all about. Yeah, I mean, his comments were absolutely shocking, as you said. I mean, um, and it's quite interesting because even if you just take Celtic themselves, I mean, Celtic have had. Ki Sung Young, Chad Uri, you know, Shinsuke Nakamura, Koki Mizuno, Tom Rogic. It's just not something new for Celtic. I mean, they've had, you know, someone from the AFC. I mean, I've been in Korea for 12 years and if it's someone from the AFC before I came to Korea. Um, so, I, yeah, I think for them to have made those... I mean, I think actually Sutton played with Nakamura, I could be wrong there, but I think for them to have actually made those comments here was pretty, was pretty ignorant, as you said, yeah. Um, I mean, like thinking that you talked here. I mean, obviously about the importance of you know, like national identity. You know, like where you come from. You know, and like so on. Um, in terms of like this kind of tournament in in Australia, like is it something that will dominate the sports channels? I mean, is it something that you think that the general public, you know, will kind of come home after work or wake up in the morning, whatever the time difference is, and actually tune in to watch it? And in general. What is the, 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 the kind of coverage of, of, of international football in Australia? I think it's changing and it's difficult to give um, a quick answer without going uh, right into the history <laughs> of Australia's football, but I, I can give you a, a kind of a, a pot of answer that the, you know, the game was built on uh, various waves of migration. I mean, starting, you know, Hundred plus years ago, with um, you know English, uh, Scottish, uh, and Irish people, and then uh, really flourishing, you know, through the the forties, fifties, sixties, and seventies, you know, when you had uh, Italians, Greeks, um, Serbs, Croats, uh, Macedonians uh, coming at that point, and then into recent times, it's been a real um, influx of, of African migration as well, and and also Vietnam and, the, and other areas of Cambodia and so on in in those various conflicts, and 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 what it did is it, it helped those communities uh, really. Galvanise and, and the strength of the game for so long was built on those community clubs. You know, so you would have the Serbian club and the and, and, the, and the Croatian club and the Macedonian club and the Italian club and the Greek club. And often it led to uh, issues uh, on and off um, the pitch, but it but it gave those communities a real identity and, and helped them settle uh, in a new country. And, and and then that was all kind of shut down with the formation uh, of the A League because uh, you know perceived. Um, Ethnic violence and you know in inverted commas and these kind of things yeah. and it was relaunched as a more um, sterile kind of thing you know with no um, affiliations with any colours or um, you know national logos or any of this kind of thing but uh, as a result of that turnover there was no football for about eighteen months so you, you got a, almost a generation that was um, kind of absent because there was no youth league following on from that and you got to remember these clubs back in the you know in the particularly in the in the sixties and seventies and eighties. Were fantastic developers of talent because uh, I mean, if you look, you know, today in a nation like Croatia, for example, you know, a small country, but producing so many players going to play because we saw, of course, what they did at the World Cup yeah. uh, as well, and you know, the, it's ingrained in the blood for for people to to coach and develop talent. So we had that exactly in Australia, and again, if you look at all, you know many of the great um, Australian players, you know, uh, Skork or 
Kalats, uh, Zelic, or you know, a, lot, a lot of uh, guys coming from these uh, clubs, particularly uh, Croatian clubs. So all, when the only uh, started, I mean, all that was really it disappeared. I mean, they were forced down in the community level. There wasn't really much a connection. Of course, there's no promotion and relegation in Australia. One team is not only in a different country, but in a different confederation. Yeah. In, in Wellington, it's a very unusual um, situation that's changing. There's a couple of new clubs are finally, thankfully, uh, coming in from uh, from uh, you know one uh, next year and another the year after. So it's going to be uh, interesting. See, but still no um, you know promotion relegation. You know that whole experience and story very well from being in Korea as well. You know, yeah. Where, where where there wasn't for a while and now there isn't. Some clubs don't want to come up and. <laughs> yeah. So uh, you know it's a it's a bit of a mess. But so so that led to um, you know really a shift in. In, in the way that the game was perceived, the way that the game was viewed um, in Australia, it's always been very healthy. You know, the, easily the most popular participation sport at youth level. I often think that's perhaps the case um, more so that you know parents don't want their kids to play um, you know rugby league or or Australian football or, or any of these uh, more physical uh, sports until they hit a certain age. But you know, it is what it is. There's a huge numbers of, of kids playing, it. and certainly um, you know for the big the domestic matches, you know, the derbies in Melbourne or the derbies in Sydney, they're religiously sold out with 60, 70, uh, 80,000. Uh, people and then when the national team plays at home, uh, again generally you know massive um, crowds turn out and you know it's obviously the case when there are big tournaments as well, particularly the World Cup. But this is, as you alluded to, with the time zone, going to make things um, a little bit challenging. Although I think most of the the Australian games, the Japan games, and maybe the Korean games, and I think they've tried to you know the, the nations on this side of, of the continent generally have the earlier kickoffs in the group stage. I think the three o'clock local, so that's probably seven or eight over here. Yeah. So the timings of it are actually probably not. Uh, all that bad. So, yeah, I mean, I would expect that there, there would be um, a big interest. Obviously, the, the rugby codes um, and the AFL are, are out of season at the moment, so it's only really the cricket uh, and the tennis that uh, is on to compete. But, you know, as a sports-loving nation, when the Socceroos are on, um, you know, it's not going to be the topic of uh, water cooler uh, discussions at every, um, you know, company across the land. But certainly, you know, there'll be a, a lot of interest in it and a lot of people really hoping that the Socceroos do well. Okay, sweet. So the, you're drawn in Group B with, I, th- I think it's Jordan, Syria and Palestine, if, if I'm right. Um, I mean, uh, are, there any, are there any teams there that you think that, that could cause an upset? Are there any teams there that could prevent Australia from, from winning the group? Oh, from winning the group, perhaps. But, um, but, but with the new format, with these 24 uh, nations going through and then the, the four uh, third players yeah. finished, I mean, you've got to be totally rubbish to, to <laughs> knock it out of the group, right? So I don't think we'll see any of the, the so-called big nations, you know, the, the South Koreas, uh, Japan, um, Iran, Saudi Australia, I think all of those nations, you know, even even if they, you know, have a disastrous one or two matches, you know, you can win one game and still get through in, in yeah. these third positions. So uh, I think uh, Australia will have little trouble uh, accomplishing that feat. But, uh, yeah, it's fascinating. The other three nations in the group, Syria, of course, we saw them come really within a whisker, uh, and that was against Australia of, um, of qualifying um, for the World Cup in Russia. You know, um, a story that certainly caught a lot of people's attention. Yeah. The struggles that are happening um, internally. There's been a lot of debate, you know, over just uh, what kind of a Syrian team this is. If it's the the team of the uh, the ruling party, or if it uh, truly is a team that you know represents um, Syrians of all a uh, political uh, persuasion. That's probably not something that we need to go into on the 48 <laughs> shades of Pojo. Probably not. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, certainly you know they have some. Um, you know, some fantastic players are playing at the big leagues uh, in the Middle East as well, so they're going to be a, 
a nation that not only could do well in the group, but could do well in all um, tournament. Uh, Palestine are a fascinating uh, situation as well because so many people are from the diaspora, you know, um, guys that have come from uh, South America, many, many guys that have um, uh, been born and grown up uh, with Palestinian roots uh, in Europe as well. So uh, they're an eclectic um, mix and certainly bring uh, really different qualities and, and characteristics um, that will maybe outside of Lebanon that, you know, uh, any other nation in the tournament has. And then uh, Jordan uh, as well, which in, not in essence, but, uh, you know, I mean, I think uh, certainly more than 50% of the, the Jordanian population come from Palestinian roots. So that uh, that particular match, you know, Jordan-Palestine is going to be one of the, you know, the real uh, kind of derby clashes of the tournament, uh, okay. a match that I'm hoping to get along to. It should be a real, um, uh, you know, a, a amazing match. But um, you can't imagine Jordan or Palestine doing too much damage later in the tournament, but uh, maybe one of them could cause a surprise, perhaps Palestine at, at, at some point, but uh, you would think if you're looking at things logically, it would be Australia and, Australia and Syria uh, in that order, or, or the uh, flip order of that that should be the top two teams in the group. Okay, so, hey, looking at the other groups, is there, a, is there a potential group of death? I mean, you know, is there a group... I mean, you said that none of the big hitters should have a problem getting, you know, like, kind of out of the group and, and kind of qualifying, but is it, is it a group that you think is really, really tight? Well, it's a group of life, that's South Korea's group, we can get to that um, <laughs> in a minute. I certainly think Group D uh, is, uh, is, is a tricky one. I mean, Iraq, the 2007 uh, champions, Iran, probably most people's uh, favourites to, to win it, and, uh, and Vietnam that has... Um, we can talk about Vietnam for hours, I could anyway. Uh, certainly such a, an amazing uh, generation yeah. of, of talent. Um, and not only that, they have the structures in place at, at youth level to, um, oh, I think they're going to be a power of Asian football really for, for a long time to come. We talk about them, you know, as maybe one of the big uh, five or six nations. So this could be their, their breakout the tournament. So those three nations going head to head in Group D is certainly uh, very difficult. I mean, Saudi Arabia and Qatar are two massive nations in Group B. North Korea, who knows what's uh, going on with the, uh, with your friends uh, up, yeah. in, up in DPR, I mean, really, you know, a, 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 a mystery. I mean, there's, there's a couple of guys that play over here in Japan, one of the kind of semi-professional team, one uh, in the second division at, uh, at, the, at the other club in Tokyo, Tokyo Verde, and, you know, there's a handful of guys in, in, in Europe as well that basically, you know, guys we never get to see play, almost never at, at domestic level, so we just don't know what they could be. Uh, you know, it could be a... A tricky group, so they're probably the two most difficult. And then, yeah, if you look at the, the group of life, I guess, uh, the South Korean, uh, the South Korea's group have got an easier draw, right? Yeah. You know, a China decided to try every possible angle to shoot themselves in both feet. Uh, Kyrgyzstan, who are an improved nation, but probably not going to win the tournament, and, uh, and the Philippines, who um, are probably going to struggle to keep up with things as well. So, so yeah, South Korea shouldn't have too many troubles over there. Okay, like you mentioned Vietnam, I, I, I mean obviously Vietnam won the AFF Cup recently, uh, you know, like I know that you were there, you know, that, that you talked earlier, you know, about the, the huge crowds in Kuala Lumpur and so on, I mean, is that, like, do you think it's, is it too early for, for that generation of footballers to maybe repeat that feat and win the Asian Cup, like do you think that they'll be coming in you know, hoping that they can get the final or win it, or do you think it's a little bit just too early for them? I mean, yeah, it's, a, it's a really difficult question because um, the, the players are, uh, some, some of the players in particular, um, one who's, who's going to be, uh, I think, a real star of the tournament, the attacking midfielder, Nguyen Quang Ai, is, uh, in my opinion, in one of the top uh, five to ten Asian players anywhere in the world. But, okay. but uh, nobody's ever heard of the guy really outside of a, a select um, you know group of people who follow uh, Southeast Asian football closely. But this guy is uh, is a su- 
superb uh, uh, playmaking uh, number 10, uh, particularly play with an out-and-out uh, 10, so he's probably uh, in a wider role uh, in the front of, uh, of, of a front three, but still he's uh, such a dangerous, um, creative player. You know, as I guess Omar Abdul-Rahman uh, was for the Emirates for quite a while, something of a, you know, a, kind of a, a hidden gem and yeah. had a coming out party, you know, at the, at the Asian Cup. This is, I think, exactly what's um, going to happen with, with Kwang Hai because uh, he has just uh, unbelievable uh, vision. His passing is, uh, is immaculate. Uh, he takes us in pieces. Uh, he scores. He creates. Uh, he's, um, he's a brilliant player. Hopefully, uh, if, if things fall into place, then we might get a chance to see him over here in the J League uh, next year, and then you know perhaps a, a move to Europe uh, in a year or two after that. So I know that uh, several of this this is a generational course was at Korea in, in 2017 at the Under 20 World Cup uh, that did very well, and then they went on and did well in the in the Under 23s and at the Asian Games as well. And basically, the the Korean coach has has just jettisoned anybody uh, with any kind of um, experience. Reading reading brackets are threat to his uh, control okay. uh, from the squad. I mean, they've got an average age of uh, 23. I think they've got one, uh, maybe one player who's over 23. I mean, the the guy that scored the winning goal for them at the Suzuki Cup, he's just cut, he's dropped him totally from the squad because he doesn't want any. In my my personal take on, he doesn't want any opposition to to what he's doing. He doesn't want any threat to the way he's doing it. And yeah. This is, um, in essence, yeah, an under 19 to under 20. A two squad that's going to go. So if you look at it logically, I mean they probably should struggle to get out of the group. But yeah, the, the players are, are just so talented. There's another you know three or four guys um, you know behind that as well. A, a guy I really like, Afan Baduku, could be over here uh, in Japan hopefully. Uh, you know for this J League season uh, as well. Um, and you know there's a as a left uh, kind of fullback, uh, wingback, uh, Don Van Howe is a brilliant um, player as well. The goalkeeper is a is a fascinating story. Born in uh, Russia, is. Um, his father was a ballerina, I believe, and his um, his mother was a was an actress. They met at some kind of a drama school, and, and he came up through the ranks at uh, at Spartak uh, in Moscow, and, and you know he's now starting in goal for uh, for Vietnam. So there's a lot of uh, nice personal stories behind it. Yeah, yeah. the generation of talent is is just so good. Uh, they, they probably can't win it, but uh, the other thing people don't know is just how it's a huge nation. Vietnam's I think 100 million people, a, a voracious uh, football media, the likes of which. Uh, you know, would put England uh, to shame. I mean, there is uh, literally, you know, hundreds of uh, online uh, sites. Uh, every game I was at the, the Suzuki Cup, you know, there would have been uh, 50, 60, 70 uh, journalists there on the ground, you know, I mean, yeah. camped out in uh, hotel lobbies of the opposition teams, waiting for any kind of comment. Uh, really, one of the most, um, yeah, most uh, fiercely uh, passionate football nations anywhere in the world. Okay, it, it's quite funny that you talk there about Park, you know, the kind of, kind of dropping players, you know, uh, they kind of challenge him, you know, and maybe a lot of people don't know much about Vietnam, because I, I, I was really surprised by how, I don't know how poor is maybe the wrong word, but I, I was quite disappointed by them in the Asian Games. Um, I mean, you know, like, obviously, I was watching from a, well, Son Young Min win the gold medal and get exemption, or will I ever have to sit and watch him play in, 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 in the K-League point of view, so, but I, I just found that, you know, that the Vietnam, because I'd watched them, I think when they got the final against Uzbekistan, right? I can't, was that the under 23? Um, and they looked really good, but in the Asian games they just looked kind of, kind of boring almost. Well, um, I think they look boring in the under 23s as well, to be honest. Okay. <laughs> the, 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 players, the players are so technically gifted that they're rising above uh, what, in my opinion, are the tactical limitations that Park uh, is placing upon them. I mean, he's very heavily into. Um, into discipline, both on the pitch and off it, uh, very heavy into physical training and conditioning, uh, and really, like I said, almost, I mean, broken no dissent in any way. Yeah. 
I mean, it's a couple. Like, yeah, no, this guy went, went on to won the really won the Suzuki Cup title for them with, with a goal in the in the second leg of the final. I mean, it was probably one of Vietnam's best performances at the tournament. You know, I was with them throughout the whole thing home and away, and I could see him and you know one of the other guys were, were often off to the side and you know not quite in with the groups. So I think he's just said, look, you know, we're going to cut it all together. But I mean, he he, he was doing. He was just doing bizarre things throughout the tournament. There was one game uh, in Vietnam. We were there before a training session one day, and, and he's come down. Uh, he's gathered the team before the session, and he's got this. Um, it's obviously a high-ranking uh, person. I had no idea who it was, and he's come over and he's he's made um, this guy do an introduction. You know, we were so far away we couldn't hear what was being uh, said, and the players are standing around, and the guy was going on and on and on for for ten minutes or more, and you could see Park was absolutely uh, captivated by the guy. <laughs> yeah. He's can't, can't possibly be a Vietnamese guy. It has to be a Korean guy. So maybe it's one of the guys from the 2002 squad that I don't recognise who it is. And I was asking around all the other journalists. Nobody had a clue who it was. What's going on? And I went up and, and asked some of the, the staffers afterwards. They said it was some um, a shooting champion, a, a Korean, um, you know, like a pistol shooting. <laughs> yeah. And he literally come and he, you know, he made this guy give a speech. And he, he, he'd done it at other times where he's bringing these random... You know, kind of the Korean celebrities to yeah. training sessions and to team meetings, and and you know, I mean the press conferences were often dominated. You know, there were a few Korean journalists that came off and on uh, late in the tournament. You know, all these questions about you know, how does it make him feel about Korea and you know the interesting. Well, it's not about Korea. Yeah, <laughs> the story's about Vietnam. I mean, yeah, with with Vietnam, and that, yeah. that should. Uh, so of course, you want to you know proud your nation, and do everything and blah 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 blah. But you know, so often uh, I got the impression it was about him and uh, yeah. and at his. Uh, kind of achievements and his legacy, but uh, the way that he's coaching them is is so conservative and, and so tactically um, simple uh, that you know that that any coach with you know half a, an organisational brain about them can do the same thing. What's more of a challenge is to get this brilliant attacking generation. That's, they're not you know um, Italy 1990. I mean they're they're a side full of uh, attacking flair and creativity and, yeah. and spark and verve. And if you had a coach that was playing to those strengths, I think absolutely they could win. Uh, the Asian Cup, but what what Park is going to try and do is going to try and you know scrape uh, you know two draws and a win, and then you know get through on penalties you know every kind of game uh, thereafter. Who knows? Might very well be successful in it. But what he's doing is limiting and, and really, I, I think uh, you know harming the, the development of this uh, really an exceptional uh, generation of Vietnamese talent. I mean, people have no idea. One of the times I was in Hanoi recently, I went to an academy. It's now being run by Philippe Trissier, the, the Frenchman who was in charge of Japan uh, in 2002 and, uh, and did a lot of really good work in bringing through uh, talented uh, young Japanese players. I spent the whole day with him at this academy. It's on the outskirts, about 20 kilometers uh, outside of uh, Hanoi. And, and they have uh, 200 uh, children from the ages of 11 to, to 17, and they live in this uh, facility. The best kids from all around Vietnam that were extensively scouted boarding. So they do school uh, and they train uh, yeah. approximately four hours a day, you know, Sometimes more, sometimes a little bit less. It's six days a week, and they play games. So you're talking. It's it's uh, in essence you're a full time professional at the age of eleven. They teach them English. Uh, they teach them French. They had uh, would have been four, five, maybe six uh, full size uh, pitches. They had indoor pitches. They had a hot pool, a uh, cold pool, Olympic sized pools. They had a, a sur- like a hospital with surgery uh, you can do in there. A full rehab rooms. All the staff from uh, from Europe and and from South America. You know experts uh, in, in their fields. There was a hotel there. There was a cafe. There was a bar. I mean, this is a um, the, the kind of setup that you wouldn't find in many uh, club yeah. sides, you know, at top. I mean, I'm talking top, top club sides in Europe, right? So, and 
and just watching, you know, technically how good these these young kids are. I mean, it's going to be very hard for um, you know many, many, many uh, Asian nations uh, to really compete uh, with Vietnam. So this is really the start of you know what we're seeing with this generation of players. But you know, I've already seen a glimpse into the future, and and there's no way that it's stopping. I mean, the pipeline is well and truly uh, turned on, and, and it's not being turned off. So you know, it's a, they're going to really lay down the challenge. But you know, in the next year or so, people. You know, at this tournament, even if they spring a few results, you're going to get people, what the hell, Vietnam? How's Vietnam doing this, you know? Because people don't know really what's going on, or they think, um, you know, maybe names, or they associate what happened historically and outside of football, you know, how strong nations should be. But there's a lot of nations doing this, um, you know, same kind of work on the ground. Qatar, of course, has a very um, similar situation, so surely they're going to be a a very serious player in this uh, tournament as well, and and then, you know, could do well in, in the home World Cup in in 22 as well, and that's a result of, you know, a decade-long, a uh, serious decade-long investment in youth football um, that, that's happening in, you know, many of these uh, rising kind of Asian powers. Okay. I mean, you, you were talking there, obviously, you know, about about Park and about how he, he brought over, you know, the, the Korean shooter and, and that kind of thing, and that, that is kind of like a really, you know, that, 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 that to me, is a kind of really Korean thing to do, to be perfectly honest. And he, his kind of management, or coaching, let's call it, uh, sounds quite similar to Hackbomb, the old uh, Songnam manager, the, the guy who actually was was the Asian uh, Games manager. Um, and that was, he was kind of like all about discipline and kind of kind of um, stunted any, any flair and any attacking uh, potential in most of the players, yeah? Um, like in Korea right now, there's a huge loving uh, like with with Park. I mean, generally anyone who does well uh, overseas, you know, anyone that Koreans can can kind of hold up as being promoting Korean culture or the Korean name, I guess, uh, overseas, they becomes a bit of an instant hero. We're getting, I mean, they like recently, you know, as I, I think as I as I said earlier to you, you know, like we had the FA Cup final that was barely covered. Uh, in on on the, the local channels here, but SBS, like the biggest channel, covered you know a one hour build up to the the Suzuki Cup final, you know half an hour afterwards. Is that is that something that that happens in Australia? I mean, if you have you know for example like Tom Rogic playing in an old firm game, or you have you know like the like Adrian Murray, or you know. That you have these players playing in like in, in like big games. Is it something that is is shown in Australia, or do you focus more on the domestic leagues? Yeah, it's definitely the case uh, in, in Australia as well. You know, people are proud, you know, of the of the fact these players are at uh, big leagues in big competitions um, and doing well. It wouldn't quite um, maybe be the fanfare that. Yeah, I mean, I certainly witnessed that uh, firsthand, the, the mania uh, ahead of the final, you know, whereas beforehand there was one kind of, um, you know, lonely Korean journalist doing a, you know, a feature length piece uh, following uh, Park across the whole tournament for the final. Yeah, all these TV crews, uh, yeah. you know, flew in. I mean, had no idea of uh, etiquette uh, or anything. They were coming into the press conference today before the match, you know, just yakking away on their phones. That's Korea. The, the <laughs> I almost got into a punch up with one of them telling them to, you know, shut the hell up and looked at me like, you've never been at the tournament. Yeah. Kind of stormed in, and you know, they, were, they were there, and you know, they're running the show because they're Korean uh, television. Um, but I think it's not unusual. I've lived in Japan now for quite a while as well, so you know, I see the same thing, uh, certainly with Japanese uh, players abroad. I mean, for example, you know, Keisuke Honda is uh, down in the A League now, so straight away, you know, we have uh, the A League being broadcast here on DAZN, the, the, the online 
a platform that's, that's streaming all the games these days, but they're only showing his games, you know, not the league. And it's the same. Yeah. If there's a Japanese player at, uh, I mean, you know, uh, when Nagatom was at the Inter, for example, you know, you you get to see the Inter games. If there's a guy going in, you know, some random league in Switzerland, you'll suddenly be seeing the Swiss games. But you know, so I think it's a, it's certainly very similar. You know, what goes on between Japan and Korea, but I don't think it's unusual and necessarily uh, either. But I just wonder why, uh, in the case of Park, I mean, if if you look at results, it's one thing, but if you look at performances, as you said, I mean, really, I think he's done a disastrous job. Okay. <laughs> he's taken the team, the way that they were playing under the local coach, you know, really up tempo attack football was exceptionally uh, nice to watch, and he's wound it right back to, you know, the prehistoric kind of dinosaur days. And, and, you know, people are only looking at results and understand, okay, there's a fascination with that that's a short term kind of thing, but what you want is the long term development of, you know, playing to a style that suits. The players you have. The other thing is he's been very good at, um, you know, massaging the media. I mean, he almost never lets the players speak, you know, in the mix zone, you know, after the game. Yeah. But even after the final, I mean, the players went through without talking to anyone. It's unbelievable. But, but you know, at the same time, uh, one of the local journalists told me a story that um, earlier in the year, you know, they were a summer away match somewhere, and then he's ordered pizza for all the local journalists, and he sent it up, you know, to their rooms as as a gift, you know, just yeah. to try and keep, make sure that he's got them on site. So he's very smart in terms of you know, being able to control uh, the message. You know, if you give journalists a free pizza for, for long enough, they're going to be on side with you. So, um, yeah, very you easy, that. very easy job, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no free pizza for me during the Suzuki couple of you know. But, uh, and, and the same thing, I mean, they, the, the Vietnam Federation actually chartered flights for the Suzuki Cup as well, and they invited the local journalists onto the flights as well. So, you know, they're, they're certainly doing them, yeah, their best to, to keep the, the message on point, and Eddie's done a, yeah, certainly a fantastic job from, from all that, but, uh, you know, the performance, not so much. Okay. So, I mean, going back to the Asian Cup then, and thinking about the kind of tournament as a whole, like, do you think, are there any uh, kind of shock teams, you know, are there, are there any teams who you think might be unexpectedly strong or unexpectedly weak, you know, are there any Germanys out there uh, who you think may have had an absolute disastrous tournament? Like we said with the format, it's, it's almost impossible to see. Yeah. Like, I mean, disaster would be not being in the top 16 out of 24 nations. Right? Yeah. <laughs> That's a disaster. Yeah. That's an absolute disaster. And I, I just can't see any of those, you know, we touched on earlier the, the Japan, Korea, Australia, uh, Saudi, Iran, any of that um, kind of big five, if we could say, are falling. Uh, out of this situation as a surprise I think Vietnam could certainly do it absolutely they have the players uh, to really um, uh, go far in the tournament I think Qatar will probably uh, surprise a few people there's still a lot of suspicion particularly um, uh, in the English speaking press uh, not so much uh, should we point it out uh, in the non-English speaking press uh, you know about uh, the World Cup and the way that was awarded and um, you know um, so-called migrant deaths, which, in my opinion, have basically been um, predicated on, uh, on on documents that haven't been properly researched yeah. <laughs> by uh, by any of these, um, you know, journalists on, on Fleet Street, because if they uh, if they if they were, they'd, they'd probably paint a different story than the one that they're painting uh, publicly. But uh, you know, there's still that kind of um, stench in a way around uh, in Qatar. But uh, people are not looking at just how good um, you know some of the the real young. Uh, talents are in, in this team and you know, I mean if, if there was a team outside the, the bigger nations who could win at Qatar absolutely they're capable of doing it of course it's set to this uh, backdrop of political tension between uh, you know the UAE and uh, and in Qatar and you know Iran in Qatar's corner Saudi Arabia in the UAE's corner so there's, there's all these uh, you know kind of um, things going on uh, in the background the Kurdistan maybe are possible of, of springing uh, a surprise as well and um, 
I mean, yeah, who knows? I mean, there's got to be smaller nations that, that get out, right? I mean, if you look, for example, at Group A, the UAE, Thailand, India, and Bahrain, uh, you know, you would think the UAE would do that fairly comfortably, and then you've got one of Thailand, India, or Bahrain, and none of which particularly um, impressive nations are going to be thrown yeah. to, the, to the second round. So, you know, you could see one of those smaller nations. But I think if there was a... Uh, a surprise to perhaps win it, maybe Qatar, and then, you know, a dark horse uh, to do really, really well. Uh, it is Vietnam, despite those uh, limitations with the coach. Okay, sweet. And who do you think will finish the, the tournament as a top goal scorer? I mean, is there, is there a player who you think they, you know, in the Asian Games, we had Wang Jo who just ran riot. I mean, he was, he was, he was like yeah. red hot. Uh, obviously, this is not the Asian Games. Um, you know, he's, he's up against. And he's been brilliant in Japan, which, um, you know, the, pretty much every uh, J-League game every weekend. I mean, he's been absolutely exceptional, particularly, uh, you know, in the second half of the year for, for Gabriel Sarpi, probably not just one of the best strikers in the league, but one of the best players in the league yeah. as well. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, he's uh, certainly a guy that's capable of, of uh, scoring a lot of goals. You'd think it's going to be one of the, the guys from the bigger nations. So, you know, someone like uh, Sadar Azmoun, uh, for example, from uh, Iran, uh, would be uh, would be a contender for sure. I mean, Japan uh, doesn't really have a, an out-and-out. Uh, number nine, Australia doesn't really... Either so yeah, I mean maybe it could be someone like a Huang Yijou. It could be a Sada Rasmun or you know I mean uh, I don't know. There's a, there's a younger Qatari guy, Amouza uh, Ali, who's uh, done very well at uh, various youth tournaments. Who will probably be starting up front for them in a group that I think they'll get out of. So maybe uh, yeah, maybe he could be a guy um, okay. as well. Okay, sweet. And I mean obviously they determine you know they being you know in the UAE. Do you think, I mean, I think I saw you talking on, on Twitter, I think it was maybe last week about, about this or a couple of weeks ago. I mean, like, do you think with the kind of heat, I mean, with everything else, do you think it's going to really favour, you know, the teams from the kind of the Western Asian region of the AFC, or do you think that's not going to have much impact? I think, I think there's definitely advantages, yeah, for sure, for the West uh, Asian nations, but uh, not so much the heat, because this time of year it's... Um, in inverted commas, winter. But, yeah. Uh, you know, but when we're, we're talking, you know, 21 to 25, most days, so <laughs> yeah. it's, it's kind of perfect. It's, it's actually perfect weather for, for football. And it's the, again, the misconceptions about Qatar. I mean, this is the time, you know, when the World Cups are, is going to be played. So it's, you know, it's going to be much more um, friendly in, in terms of climate than, than most of the previous uh, World Cups uh, have been. But, you know, the, the familiarity, uh, you know, of, um, of those national sports, they play, you know, the West Asian Championships and, and the Gulf Cup and, and all these kind of tournaments, you know, where they're familiar with playing each other and familiar in playing certainly in the UAE and, uh, and you know, in, in similar kind of conditions uh, throughout the region as well. So, yeah, Qatar, uh, you know, indeed the Emirates, uh, the host nations, sort of the expectations are very high. Um, we understand the mess, you know, the, the belief is really that they will win it, so it's, it's in their favour. Saudi Arabia could, I mean, be a real... A serious contender, you know, they've, um, they've kept uh, Pitsy, the, the coach in charge after the World Cup, uh, very remarkable, really, given the, the track record of coaching changes in, in Saudi Arabia. And again, uh, flush with a really exciting, um, technically gifted uh, young generation of players. So they could be a nation that could certainly benefit uh, from those conditions as well. And, of course, uh, Iran too, although um, yeah, the, the conditions um, internally within Iran are certainly not what they are. At, uh, you know, the UAE, most of these stadiums are, are really world-class uh, you know, venues, the hotels are very nice, yeah. the training grounds are very nice, you know, the transport things are very good, um, you know, so there's, there's not going to be any kind of um, logistic um, issues, but certainly the familiarity uh, of, you know, the handful of big uh, West Asian powers could, yeah, play right into their hands. Okay, and if I can pin you down now, who do you predict for the semi-finals, and ultimately the final, and ultimately the winner? Well, until a couple of days ago, um, I was pretty confident that Australia were going to win it, actually. Um, <laughs> but yeah, with all these... Um, Injuries coming uh, one after another. I, 
Yeah, I'm not uh, quite as confident uh, as I was. Uh, I guess I really don't know because, you know, with all these third place things, there's not even an easy way to match up, uh, you know, the, the path from the, the second round through to the final, you know, which side of the draw this nation is yeah. going to be on or that because it can all, depending on where you finish in one of those uh, third spots as well. But, um, I'll be very surprised if, if it's someone outside of, you know, the, the kind of half dozen nations that we've already mentioned um, before that won it. Um, Korea are capable of winning it. Uh, Iran are capable of winning it. Uh, Japan sort of capable of making the semis. I don't think they have the overall quality um, and perhaps also I'm, I'm not, not totally sold on the coach either to, to think that they'll go on and win it, but, um, but they'll be in the mix. Um, so if you're going to pin me to one right now, I, I would have said Australia, but... Um, Seeing as I'm on your podcast, why don't I go for uh, South Korea? I just won't go out in my balcony uh, here in Tokyo and shout it out very loud. <laughs> it all depends on Son. If Son, if Son stays in England, yeah. Korea might win it. If, <laughs> uh, if Son comes over, there's no chance of him winning. Well, he might get a mysterious injury after the, one of these uh, FA Cup matches, right? But Honestly, I mean, I've been, I've, I've watched Son for a long, long time, and I am hugely of the opinion. And you've probably heard me say it many times on the podcast, yeah. but I'm of the opinion that when Son plays, Korea don't. Um, yeah. I think there's the idea in Korea of young culture, you know, where they, you know, everything must go through the big brother type idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I really believe that um, that when that when Son's in that team, nobody, that everyone just puts the ball straight to him. It was terrible like, during the Asian Games, terrible during the World Cup. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think definitely. I, I, I would say Korea have a chance, but for me, my money's going to be on Iran, and for no other reason, just than their Korea's bogey team, to be honest. <laughs> so, I mean, how, how do you think uh, Korea, what do you think Korea can make, uh, I mean, will they make it to the final and they'll lose to Iran, or what, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think they'll get the final, I mean, I'll, they'll definitely, I always say definitely, as you said, you know, it's quite kind of difficult to kind of pin everything down with, with the new format, but I would be surprised if they don't make the semis, Um uh, for me, yeah, I, I think they have enough strength to get to the final. But um, I mean, I I remember watching the final against Australia. I, I had a I actually had a team building, and I was watching it in a restaurant, like through my uh, kind of alcoholic uh, glaze. But I remember, um, I mean, Chadri basically lifted Korea like into that that final. Um, and I think Korea have a habit of just like kind of bottling it at the last minute. You know, they they kind of don't, you know, they they kind of don't rise to the occasion often enough. Um, so yeah, I would be surprised. I wouldn't be. I think they'll get the semi final, but I don't think they have it in them to win the tournament. To be honest. Well, who, who's going to be the the key players? I mean, obviously Son's not coming in until that that third match. Um, you know, we've seen the Huang Yijou as we talked about here. The the goalkeeping. Situation. I don't know what's going on there because the maybe Kim uh, Sung Gyu was basically uh, frozen out um, yeah. in his last uh, couple of games for a 20 year old goalkeeper at uh, Corbett, so he hasn't played uh, for quite a while. And the, the captain of the team I follow um, uh, over here um, <laughs> was obviously um, yeah. Yeah, booted for uh, <laughs> Photoshop with his uh, winter um, pictures and so on. So there's a few questions around the squad, but for, for you, who do you see maybe as being the, the real standout performance for Korea? Uh, I mean, I think a lot of people here are talking about Juan and Bong. Um, I mean, I, I, he's a good player, but I, 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 I don't really buy a lot of the hype around him. Uh, obviously, Wang Yijo, if he brings his shooting boots, is is going to be like you know they're, they're one of the kind of key players. Uh, the Daegu goalkeeper Cho Cho Hyun-woo, um had a, a pretty exceptional World Cup. 
and then won the FA Cup final with Daegu and there's EJ Song um, as well. So that's the thing about, I think the good thing about this Korean team is that when you take Son out of it, they're a team. They actually are a Korean team. When you put Son in it, it's, you know, he's the standout player. But I think when you take him out of the team, they've got a, a kind of generally pretty pretty decent um, kind of team. Uh, the new coach has got them playing playing well. He's got them believing a lot more than um, Uli did and a lot more than what, than what Shin uh, had them believing as well. Um, but as I said, yeah, I mean, all of us going to depend on on Son. If he if if, if he comes in, uh, you know, like he he's going to miss the first two games. For for me, if he comes straight back into the squad in the third game, it's ridiculous. I mean, that, that, that's my own uh, personal opinion on that one. I, I mean, um, but uh, yeah, they're a stronger team, I think, a kind of team unit than before. But I just don't think they have. Um, I don't think I don't think they have the bottle to 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 win the tournament. To be honest, um, I was actually surprised that they won the Asian Games, um, but I think that was more down to the fact that they were playing against nobody in the final. Um, to be honest, uh, I think they had to come up against a decent enough team uh, on the way there. I wouldn't they wouldn't have got to the final. So yeah, for me, um, uh, there's not really a, a particular, a particularly great standout player. But um, yeah, hopefully they can do well. But here, the, the thing about here is that I'm not really, I mean, it'll be on TV, but people won't really tune in until after the group stages. Like, nobody's really going to bother waking up for it or coming home early for it or whatever. But once they start getting the idea, oh. You know, Korea could win this, or Korea could do something, and especially, uh, you know, as you mentioned about your about your Tokyo balcony. I mean, especially if there's the chance of a Hanildran, which is the is the Korean name for any any competition involving a Korean and Japanese team, no matter what it is. Um, if, if if there's a chance of that happening, then the nation will be tuning in, no, no matter what time of the evening it is. Yeah. But uh, but those first couple of group stages, especially again with Son missing the first two games, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if SBS showed the Spurs games instead of the, the the Korean national team game. To be honest, but that's just my own opinion of SBS over here. But anyway, okay. Well, Scott, thank you very much for taking the time. I mean, I know that you're as as we discussed earlier that you're flying out soon. It was a pleasure talking to you. Um, Thank you very much. Hopefully, have a safe flight. Hopefully, you get to all the games that you want to go to. And um, if it's a Korea-Australia final, we'll figure some way of, of, of doing a, yeah. a, a Skype preview or a WeChat preview or something, yeah? Yeah, for sure. That, uh, that'll be lovely. And yeah, any time... Um, yeah, it's been great to be on. Uh, thanks again for all the work you, you guys do. Yeah, if you ever, ever want me to come back on for any of the ACL uh, games involving uh, the, the J-League clubs or, or the Ali clubs, I'm happy to do that in 2019 as well. This is an invitation to join our congregation, to join our beat and